Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Get ready for Kazoo Fest 2015, taking place throughout Guelph between April 8th and 12th. Musical acts include Deerhoof, Home Shake, Last X, Fedre, Scott Merritt, Tyvek, Lido Pimienta, Absolutely Free, Jeffrey Lewis, and many, many more. There will be art by Sherry Boyle and Jen E. Norton, plus dance, print, multimedia, and much more. Visit kazookazoo.ca for ticket and schedule info, and do not miss Kazoo Fest in Guelph this April. Creative Control with Beesh Connor. On this episode of the show, Bob Nastanovich of Pavement and the Silver Jews tells me what's going on with the Silver Jews. There seems to be some activity within the band these days. He's been posting photos and sending messages on Facebook suggesting that the Silver Jews are back up in action after retiring about five years ago. So, uh... As some of you know, I'm a big fan of David Berman and the Silver Jews, so it's uh, it's about time I got to the bottom of this. Bob helps me out, so you're going to hear some revealing, exciting things about the Silver Jews on this episode. Stay where you are. I don't know what that means. You might be mobile. It's a podcast. You can take it anywhere, really. Just listen to the show with Bob and I, please. Thank you. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Selma, Wild, Just Eat It, Still Alice, and more. Spend Oscar night at the E-Bar, where they'll be screening the 2015 Academy Awards broadcast starting at 7 p.m. And on February 25th, Governor General's Award winner Michael Harris is at Lakeside Hope House to read from and discuss his new book, The End of Absence. The Bookshelf is an independently owned culture hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph, more information about their hours, listings, blogs, and accessibility, please visit bookshelf.ca.
Stanovich is an American musician who currently lives in the state of Iowa. Though best known for playing keyboards, auxiliary drums, and shouting in the hugely significant and influential rock band Pavement, Stanovich also co-founded another immensely important band called the Silver Jews. Highlighting the inimitable songwriting and singing of the American poet David Berman, Silver Jews called it a day in 2009 after a remarkable 20-year run. In the past few months, after cryptic social media posts and photographs, there seems to be something stirring in Silver Jews land, and the band seems to be active again in some capacity. Here to explain some of this is the Silver Jews Minister of Information, Bob Nastanovich. Uh, hi, Bob. How's it going? I'm doing great. And I want to clarify one thing, that um, although I do reside in Iowa, <clears throat> um, I do um, prefer to, to say that I currently reside in Des Moines um, due to uh, embarrassment based upon the recent election of Senator Joni Ernst, who grosses me out. <laughs> so, uh, on that note, um, yeah, everything going all right in your world? Yeah, things are okay. I'm, I'm dealing with, dealing with some stuff here with the children. I forget. Do you have kids? No, I have two corgis. They count. Oh, I've, yeah. got a, uh, I've got a 14-year-old corgi, and, and then i got a fellow that's just over a year. And those, those are my boys. Oh, good for you. That's good for you. Yeah, that's the closest uh, closest I've ever gotten to child um, rearing. How about yourself? It's the same thing. I have a a two-month-old and a -a three-and-a-half-year-old, and and they're basically little dogs. Two-month-old. That's exciting times. You must have just just gotten a dog, right? No, these aren't dogs. These are are children. Oh, you've got real kids. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, a two-month-old. Wow. So you're off to a good start. Two months, everything's pretty, been pretty smooth. Yeah, yeah. Ramona's great. Yeah, yeah. My daughter's great. Uh, my my boy's good. My boy and I are bonding more and more over music and stuff. Cool. He's, I don't know if you know this. You probably wouldn't. But Stephen Malcolmus, your friend Stephen Malcolmus from Pavement was on. Yeah. Was he was on this show? I don't know. Whenever the last Jix record came out. And yeah. I explained to him that at the time my kid, who was at the time three or two, I guess he was two, obsessed with Pavement obsessed interesting that's wonderful yeah he loved the songs are kind of playful i think it would probably back up steven's notion that um pavement has a very um juvenile sound which is um something he likes to um distance himself and his current from in his current work <laughs> <laughs> that's how he's always explained it to me like the reason why it's difficult for him to um do pavement stuff is it takes him back to what he feels like his childhood, even though he's very much in, in his 20s, I think even creeping into his 30s. 
And um, he often uses that as um, uh, one of his excuses. I can um, I can see that. It's a marker when you're an artist and you're producing something and you're sharing it with the public. That's a marker of your own time. Right. I mean, I think so. You know, I think he's I think he's very accurate. I think that, you know, in this day, I can't blame a lot of these bands that like get back together and then realize that they're like significantly um, more popular than they were when they existed in the in the 90s. And um, then, so then they kind of keep on going. And uh, Stephen, you know, he pretty he wasn't coaxed into doing the reunion in 2010, but um, mostly our, our booking agent, uh, Botch Billions, he he really convinced Stephen to do it because he thought it would benefit um, the Jicks in the in the long haul. So Stephen always kind of took the approach to that year that okay, I'm going to do this and. Um, and I think he did enjoy it, but I think he sort of wanted to make sure that it was finite and that his sort of angle on it was that by just doing the one, calling it a reunion and doing a reunion tour should just be a one-year thing, you know, as opposed to carrying on. That's that's, <laughs> um, that's interesting. That So David at Billions was like, I have a one-year promotional campaign for the Jicks idea for you. Put together your old band and people will, Yeah, that's weird. That's sort of weird. It kind of boosts interest. I, I think that Botch was like, you know, he was kind of going for anything. He, um, he was kind of grasping at straws because he wanted it to happen. And then, of course, you know, the rest of us are always sort of willing. Um, if, if you know, if I was in control, like if I'd written the bulk of those songs or, or I had sort of more of a more decision-making position in that band, what I would do is I'd, I'd tour like, you know, maybe – three to four weeks a year and just pick cool places to go and like, you know, pick like 30 to 40 songs to relearn and then just, you know, play cool shows, you know, like do it a month a year. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. He kind of has more of a, uh, um, I, I don't know what, what, I don't, I think it's just always kind of in the back of his mind. And then one interesting thing about the Jicks over the last several years is they do play a lot more pavement songs than they did in their first several years of existence, which, I think covers those bases for him, you know. Well, prior to that tour starting, he and I spoke, and I told him that my kid was, uh, he was at the time really in love with Stereo and Shady Lane. He loved the videos. I had to sing it to him every night. We would sing it together. He knew all the words, which, yeah, those are pretty wordy songs for a two-year-old. And so I kind of yeah, that's odd. That's weird. It was cool. I kind of viewed it as educational. And then, I at the Lee's Palace show that that the Jicks played, he played like they played stereo. I'm not saying there's any correlation, but I was surprised that uh, pavement songs were kind of because I I go see the Jicks from time to time, and I don't remember uh, in recent years seeing pavement songs until he did uh, they did stereo and something else. I can't remember what the other one was right now. Yeah, no, like they um. I know that they kind of did, I don't know when it was, but sometimes they, at one point they did a show that was mostly, if not all, pavement songs. And from that point on, I think that since they had to learn a dozen or so, <clears throat> that they've, they've you know, got that in their repertoire. But when I saw them last, which was in Omaha last year, um, I got up and, and, and sang Unfair Song with them. So they definitely know how to play that. Oh, nice. <clears throat> and um, Yeah, and they... They tend to do things um, more at, with more precision than pavement um, ever did. So, 
that uh, it's funny you say that I, I was watching their eyes <laughs> it, it's funny you say that because I was watching their eyes kind of dart around at, at each other as they were trying to play the songs like, it, clearly it was a new thing for them and they're pros <laughs> <laughs> really pro did the did the pavement reunion tour end well um you know the pavement reunion tour is actually uh, for one thing it was way more consistent consistent performance wise we played about 75 shows and we picked like, I think we relearned about 40 and we had to play like 25 to 30 every night you know that was one interesting thing about it like in this day and age or maybe sort of like um because it was a reunion or whatever that back in the day our shows would always be under an hour and a half and then in some some cases with the encore in, in 2010 they were there were two hour performances so yeah, yeah. um it ended kind of sadly in a way because we everybody got along well the whole year and we really sort of enjoyed each other and enjoyed the experience and then our our last show in las vegas as part of the matador 21 festival was really one of our worst of the year oh and it, it came right on the heels of um one of our best, which was at Hollywood Bowl, and uh, the night before, I don't know, maybe we were fried or something like that, but, <clears throat> you know, just sort of in typical pavement fashion, people kind of left with a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth, but that that's the way it was throughout the history of the band. Anyway, and it doesn't stick, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, you, it you, wasn't, you, there wasn't, like, hard feelings. There was never, like, you know, there really wasn't that many, um, it wasn't a whole since Gary left the band, there really wasn't a whole lot of tension mm-hmm. in that band in terms of inter, interpersonal relationships. Uh, everybody pretty much got along, and if they didn't, they sort of kept it to themselves. But um, um, <clears throat> yeah, so it was fine. Okay. I Just... mean, I, I I hope that you know. I mean, I I can tell you this much: we did um, in recent months try to make another pitch. Um to try to put something together um, next year. Oh, okay. Or starting later this year, and it did not float. <laughs> so the idea... So it, was a failed, it was a failed attempt. When you say um, we tried to put together a pitch, is it everyone pitching to Steven? Yeah, it's usually conjured up first by Scott. And um, Scott conjures it up, and then um, comes to us and then uh, asks us to approach Stephen in our own nimble way, which <laughs> usually usually would mean me. That's me. Because West, <laughs> Steve West and I both are, it's just not their, it's, you know, if he, it, it, I, it's not their style to do something like that unless it's um, eyeball to eyeball. You're you're the guy that you know what get, I mean? yeah you're the guy that kind of gets along with everybody. That's the impression we've yeah got. is that right? Yeah, no, that's accurate. <clears throat> um, that's sort of been sort of my um, my forte since I since I was eighteen, you know, and you know, I was friends with David and Stephen because those guys are not the easiest guys to um, <laughs> bring together. Um, they weren't really too close in college and then their sort of their closest period was sort of you know between like 90 and 93 when we all lived in new york and that they all they, they worked together mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so they spent a lot of time together and like 
I think what sort of really brought them together was that the New York scene back then was really pretty harsh from the standpoint of snobbery. It was strong, you know, like there's a, there's like a core of like, it was kind of based on adoration of grunge Mm -hmm. and, um, and there was like, and there, and and there was a, you know, there it was also kind of built around the record store, Pure Platters, and and in Hoboken, and then a few clubs, Maxwell's being one, and the Pyramid, and um, CB's had gone pretty indie grunge at that point. <clears throat> um, and there's a few more. Um, there's the bar Max Fish, but it's kind of like a really tight scene, and um, without naming too many of the players, I mean, why not John Spencer? The whole Pussy Galore scene, the Sonic Youth scene, um, Dust Devils. Yeah. Um, you know, like, uh, there's, there's tons of them. There's tons of bands. But, but it, was a, it was a good time to be in New York City in terms of really cool things coming through. I mean, obviously, bands always go and play New York City. You know, I mean, some people even come over internationally and do a one-off or whatever. But... Mm-hmm. Um, it was a good time to be there, but we were sort of like viewed as like the three of us were sort of viewed as these like who are these these jerks from who knows where they came from or kind of looked upon as like invaders and and um, <laughs> it's like smart asses, you yeah, know? Yeah, I could see that. But sort of, yeah, it sort of culminated in in one particular Nirvana show at the Pyramid Club in which. Um, which was of course packed to the gills and it was before Nirvana was huge, you know, but they still were big in New York and it was like the CNB scene show of all time. And, um, it was before Dave Grohl was in the band and all that. Yeah. And, um, David, um, and I decided to heckle, um, Nirvana just for the fun of it. And we immediately got a rise out of Chris Novoselic and, and David and Chris Novoselic really got into a got into a back and forth um, of vocal sparring, okay. insulting each other. And Stephen, like at first, at first, Stephen was kind of ashamed and went got got kind of away from us. <laughs> and then he realized that we were sort of like it was interesting. He realized that he should ally himself with his friends. So. Because he realized that easily this whole situation can kind of turn against us and be pretty ugly. But whatever, after only about four or five Nirvana songs, um, they lost it. Kurt lost it. They did their whole routine where they destroy their stage, like break a bunch of their gear, and they quit and wouldn't play anymore. And um, that was sort of really mainly due to David. I'd gotten to the point where he was being so effective and his voice is so needly and like, um, snarling that I was feeding him lines in addition to his own material. <laughs> and then, so the show ended and, and I, I remember carrying David around, around the waist, around the crowd while he shouted at the top, which requires a lot of strength. He's big. And, um, he, he screamed at the top of his lungs, sub pop destruction. He was just sick of just the immense sort of like, Popular, there's the snobbery based upon adoring sub pop bands in New York City at the time. You know what I mean? It was just like, it was like, come on, man, like <clears throat> they're cool and everything, but there's there's nothing that's like all you know. Like we're all big fans of Nirvana. We all, you know, whatever. We were kind of ashamed of ourselves. But the amazing thing was, so we're like outside and 
back then there was a grocery store across the street where you get a 16 ounce Budweiser, a can for a dollar. Uh-huh. We were outside drinking our dollar beers, congratulating each other. And like literally in droves, people would come by us and, and tell us how much they hated us. And like, <laughs> what a horrible thing they almost like people were like, they were so upset. People were like, almost like, like crying. There's so much venom coming towards us. It was amazing. That kind of like, might have might have further um, linked us together, and we all <clears throat> spent a lot of time together anyway. But it was like during that sort of period that like Silver Jews were formed, and, and you know Silver Jews were were really formed because we had a friend. Um, actually, we were still friends with a girl named Tanya Small who worked at Pierre Platters the record store, and she went out with the, the proprietor of Pierre Platters, and she gave us Thurston and Kim's phone number, and. <clears throat> um, which I can still remember to this day, 212-219-2658. Obviously now for several reasons it's defunct. But um, uh, I'm sorry. But we I should, used to I should call be that number. I shouldn't be laughing. We used to play like the yeah the first like 15 or 20 um, Silver Jews practices. We'd make up songs and we'd think we'd gotten to a point where it was like cool, like kind of in like a Dead Sea sort of way, you know? Yeah. And um, and then we'd. Then we'd call their their home phone, and if they answered, of course, we would just hang up. I don't think they had caller ID or anything. But if we got their answering machine, then we'd go, you know, we'd play the song to their answering machine, you know. And uh, that was pretty much how the band existed. Like, that's how, like, you know, that we just wanted to be on Ecstatic Peace or something. Are, are they and, uh, Are they now aware that you used to do this? Oh yeah, Thurston. Yeah, no. I mean, I obviously became friends with Thurston a few years later, and he thought a lot of it was cool, you know. Oh, nice. I don't know what Kim thought of it, but Thurston was kind of right up his alley, like being a we- being a bunch of weird kids and calling up his answering machine and you know playing four minutes of noise is the kind of thing that he would get into to this day. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Wow, so, I, I did not know any of. I can't believe you guys. Willfully ended a Nirvana show. That's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We did quickly. That's yeah. That's and and this was real. You say heckling, so I kind of thought it might be a joke, but this was real. No, no, it was vicious. It was vicious heckling, and it got to the point where Chris Novoselic was his his retaliatory comments towards David were sort of based on uh, incorrectly and unknowingly on David being a jock, which mm. of course. David really was, and he was, in fact, I think he quit playing soccer when he was like six or seven years old. He's a terrible athlete. <laughs> do you, do, to do watch you... him run is hysterical in its own right. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, no, it was weird. And um, But, no, those things are – I only always told the truth. Really, I've got no reason to lie. Yeah, do you, do you actually remember specific – Unless it's about something important. Right. Like do you remember specific – volleys between the two between Chris and and David do you remember specific uh, words I just remember him calling David a jock and like that was his whole tack like you know all we need is like jocks that are I guess you know it was sort of like well we've gotten so popular now that we have jocks at our show or something but like David wasn't a jock and um I can't you know David's were like harsh and they were short I think David was David you know was mostly like Calling uh, Chris Novoselic a dork, if I recall, which was of course extreme hypocrisy. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was just, it was just whatever. 
it didn't matter what he was saying. It was just whatever he could get a, a rise out of him for, you know. It's kind of. And I'm I, sure there's other people who would remember because it was sort of like, you know, it was a much-awaited show, and it was like, it was the show. It was probably, you know, a year before, smells like Teen Spirit and all that. Yeah. But I mean, the thing you got to realize is that Nirvana, you know, before they were nationwide, were like huge, and the sub pop in general was huge in Hoboken and New York. The only place where it was really any bigger was Seattle. I mean, obviously. Yeah. So like those bands would pretty much like, I think you know, I think they do all right in Chicago, but they were huge in New York. All of them. I don't care who it was, Tad, you know, whoever. You know what I mean? Yeah. They were huge. Yeah. Huh. And uh, there's no point in me trying to like remember all the ones we saw. <clears throat> in fact, I just found a Laughing Hyena seven inch. They were huge too. That, that band was huge in New York. Of course, Jesus Lizard was always big. Yeah, yeah. Huh. But um, you know, who knows? But <clears throat> um, it's kind of odd that yeah. uh, eventually Kurt would become a big Pavement fan. Yeah, I think more, more Jews. Oh, really? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think more Jews. I think and I never really sensed that he cared too much for pavement, but I know that he was. I, I know he liked um, the early Jew stuff. I thought he style. isn't. I mean, who knows if this is even an accurate reflection of how he thought? But I thought pavement was mentioned in one of his journal entries as one of his favorite bands of all time. Oh, cool! I didn't know that. I know this: when we played Reading Festival in '92, they of course were the headliners, and it was a, a real famous show. The wheelchair show? Or the one he just gotten out of rehab, and he, they pushed him on the stage in a wheelchair, you right. know? Yeah, yeah. And he was in, like, um, his hospital smock, or I don't know the correct terminology on that. What is it? What do they call that stuff? I don't know. Yeah, like, but, a, um, like a hospital gown or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that thing, that show. We played whatever, like, second or third on the bill that day in the early afternoon, and, and he picked all the bands, so... I know that even though it was two years later um, that, you know, he didn't, he didn't hate us. But one kind of funny, one phenomenon about that whole New York experience is that as those people, you know, we started playing shows and as that sort of scene kind of realized that um, we were pavement and people, there was still a whole love them and hate them kind of way about things, but we weren't, um, universally disdained as much. It was kind of weird. It's kind of one of those things you realize, you know, in your high school years and your college years, and then your early adult years, it's sort of sad. Like in a way, like people, um, we always called them rock climbers in pavement, but, um, people are nice to you just cause like you're in a cool band, you know, so you kind of have to, <laughs> you have to worry about that. Yeah. It's weird. It's like, <laughs> It's part of life, you know. I mean, it's kind of like the way it goes. But I mean, obviously, a lot of people form bands because they want to be cool. I mean, I think that like somebody is blunt, and it's like Henry Rollins who says things that like the only reason people play pinball is due to sexual frustration. I'm sure he would say like, you know, that you start bands just because you want to get laid, <clears throat> which certainly wasn't the case with Pavement. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I distinctly remember hearing both Pavement and Silver Jews for the first time and being feeling, uh, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but those were life altering occasions like that. That changed me yeah. a little bit. And I 
you know, for what well, it's Stephen's worth. Well, Stephen's good. I mean, you know, and Stephen's good. He's good. But the um, the thing about Silver Juice was is that, see, that, all that was recorded on, like, one of those – I mean, I'm looking at one right now because I bought one of the first stories the other day, one of those old-school, like, rectangular tape recorders. I don't even know what you call those things. <clears throat> they used to call them ghetto blasters. No, no, this is a this is a tape recorder, like the old-fashioned rectangular, small rectangle. Oh, you know like, the one with like record play and a mic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right, right. It's not all those. Yeah, like yeah. I just bought one at the thrift store the other day for a dollar because I actually work in a job here in horse racing where, in which you still have to use those. You actually have to record yourself and then transcribe what you've said. It's really what record? Wait, wait a minute. Record yourself saying what? Oh, during a horse race, you have to call the position of the. I work for a company called Equibase, which is um, America's horse racing database. And um, so, like, during the race, I have to call where the horses are on the track, how far apart they are, and I have to record it and then play it back and um, and write down what I said, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know. Um, so, I, you know, I think they have those little ones now, those sort of more discreet ones, Um I think that costs like $12, but I found this old school one for a dollar. Essentially, it's very reminiscent of the Silver Juice first recording studio, which was sort of sub four track. Right. And um, like all that stuff. And then Koretsky, like um, David sent it to Koretsky at Drag City and he liked it, you know, like sort of unbeknownst to all of us, just sort of his faith in um, at the time and all things sort of lo-fi and, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I think he, if it wasn't for somebody like Dan, you know, Silver Juice obviously would never have existed. You know, like, <clears throat> it's just sort of a Drag City move. Like, Drag City, like, it's amazing. Those guys now, um, I mean, they've been around now for well over 25 years. And uh, they continue to take risks. And they're real, <clears throat> it's a pretty interesting la- record label, really. I mean, it's, a, it's a, I mean, whether you like everything they've released or not, which is almost impossible. And there's no way that you could, unless you're just like a completist or like just the variety is insane, but they do come up with some pretty cool ideas, but it was, I'm grateful for them for showing interest in silver juice because, um, if they hadn't put out that sort of archaic, those archaic recordings, um, then, you know, nothing ever would have come of it. There would have been no American water, which is a great album. The label does seem to be, smart or intuitive about nurturing things. I mean, when you think about some of what people became, when you talk about the Silver Jews, you talk about Will Oldham, you talk about Bill Callahan, like the just where they started from and where they are now, or where, yeah. they, where they went, it's actually quite remarkable. I don't think any... I think Drag City knows something that we don't sometimes. Um, yeah, no, I mean, Will Oldham, you know, like, obviously he's been immensely successful and just look at like and, think you know, of the early smoke, Jennifer the, and yeah and Neil Royal Trucks Royal Trucks were the first band on the label Pavement second yeah you know? yeah <clears throat> and then like the so. early uh, early smog records compared to what Bill Callahan's sort of become totally it's King weird. Kong you know I mean there's whatever I mean I'd have to look at the roster I'm not entirely up to date but David is <clears throat> David really does sort of have David and Dan are really close mm-hmm. and that's sort of like um, you know I mean. David spent some time recently in Chicago and uh, Dan, I think always plays a significant role in triggering uh, David's activity. Now what sort of 
got David going recently in recent months is that he's um, he's been working on these these very interesting and attractive sculptures that he makes. He oh. makes these things. He he goes shopping, and Chicago is sort of an ideal city for this. But he goes shopping at thrift stores and like Dollar General and all kinds of weird cheap stores and buys. He's got a really keen eye for buying, for finding good deals on stuff. And he'll buy large quantities of toys and other unusual, usually brightly colored objects. And then he creates like a whole like sort of unique amusement, amusement park and by interconnecting these toys and other things that he makes. And he's made and artifacts and like souvenirs and signs. They're sort of really hard to describe unless you're looking at one, but they're like, they're about tend to be about the size. You could put them on like a, just a average kitchen tabletop. And um, I don't think he, I don't know if he really has that, what his intent is, but he continues to collect these things. And then he's always been in, uh, incredible, uh, meticulous, sort of obsessive organizer, um, stacking things and organizing things, um, which I think is not an entirely unusual habit. I mean, there are other people I've known that well, my wife is like that to an extent. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but he likes to um, organize things and build things. And I think, you know, obviously he's got his background in art is an interesting one in that he didn't take that many art classes or art history classes in college, but working in the Whitney Museum for three or four years as a security guard, which David, Stephen Malkmus, and Steve West all did, Mm -hmm. they were constantly in rooms, the same room for like six to eight hours a day, like staring at like anywhere between eight and 20 pieces of art on the wall. So obviously, and Steve West is a sculptor. He's a good artist. And all three of them really sort of expanded their knowledge of at least modern American art um, you know, to the point where they could like have really amazing discussions about it. They could have written essays about it um, because they're interested, you know, like they were there. It was a cool job, but that what sort of got them through it, the the rigors of standing 68 hours a day was staring at the stars. So I think David um, has always kind of, you know, I think it's, he's gotten to the point now where, you know, it, it's kind of, he's looking for something to spur his writing along. And, and I think what's sort of gotten the ball rolling for him is this, this, these sculptures. And I think, I mean, it's possible that he might, you never know with him. Now that's the thing, the, the, the thing that's always really tricky about him is he's a scrapper. Like, you know, you can, he, he can be on the cusp of something like really big and like really brilliant and just scrap it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's always a bit, of a risk with him and the reason could be anything and he's always ready to defend his position um and and he's um you know he thinks about things from the standpoint um that if he if he comes up with an idea and he decides that he's not going to do it then he's going to have several reasons why he's not going to do it and he's you know ready and willing to argue those i mean for example like um i mean the 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 pavement recording or not that I'm sorry the silver Jews recording session in which it abruptly ended and then myself and Steven got kicked out of the band um 
<clears throat> we thought that was sort of the end of Silver Jew since we were pretty significant in the formation of the band. But um, that was um, that you know. So he, I mean, he does that kind of thing. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. that's just one example. That's just one outstanding example. And that I mean, like Peyton Pinkerton who who played in his live band. That guy he'd ridden a Greyhound bus like all the way from Western Massachusetts to Nashville and ridden down to Memphis with David. It's like a twenty-hour bus ride, and he was in Memphis for like four hours. I mean, he he was supposed to be the bass player for the Silver Juice on that record, and <clears throat> it was a record that was never made. And then the Pavement EP. Um, the Give It a Day EP. Yeah. It's got gangsters and pranksters on it. Yeah, Saginaw. Yeah, yeah. That's what we did with the studio time because, you know, David had booked that studio time at Easley and he would have been screwed out of a few thousand dollars. But so the three of us who had been touring the whole year, we we sort of paid for that studio time and made that record. I mean, that payment record sort of unique in that it's just me, Steven, and Steve West. But um, anyways... He's got these sculptures and he keeps making them and they're they're pretty cool. Um and he's got friends with art studios. I mean Harmony Corinne's one of his best friends now. He's got like a huge he bought a building in Nashville that, you know, he puts I don't even know exactly what he does, but he does like art installations and he sells a lot of art. So it's possible that David could sell his art huh. even if it was one piece at this gallery in Nashville. Who knows? But the most significant thing is sort of the best thing that's happened to him in the last couple of years is that he decided to go do a reading at some sort of literary arts festival or poetry festival in Romania. And he went to Bucharest for like at least two weeks, I'm going to say. And he had a wonderful time. And then he was sort of the headlining act um, over all these sort of like kind of brilliant Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Romanian writers and stuff. He really had a great time. Was and he was that, he that, was he reading poetry or what was he reading? I think he was reading I'm pretty sure he was reading his own poetry. Okay. Okay. Um I just saw the poster, you know what I mean? It's like all these Romanian names and his his name on top. Hmm, hmm. And um he had a great time and he's very interested in going back um to Eastern Europe. Um he kind of would like to sort of live this kind of like Airbnb lifestyle and wander around Eastern Europe staying in different places a week or a month at a time. And I think it sort of spurs on his creativity. He's written um, some songs. Um, 
Brian Kotzer, the drummer in Silver Jews, you know, he's got a studio. He's one of those guys. It's like an everyday musician. He's like a studio at the ready kind of guy. So if you're like hanging out with Brian Kotzer, you're just like you're one step away from like pressing the record button kind of guy. Oh, okay. <clears throat> yeah, and he lives like a mile from David. David probably spends more time with him than anybody else in Nashville. Secondly would be um, our dear friend Kevin Guthrie. Who's an, he's an actor. Those are sort of his two best friends there <clears throat> when he does, you know, venture out of the house and Kotzri sees all the time. So, you know, whenever he wants to, like, <clears throat> if he actually wants to jam or actually wants to, like, you know, present what he's written, um, the way it's always kind of worked in the Silver Jews is he writes the poem and we kind of build the music around it, you know? Right, right. And generally, generally, that's the detail. So the fact that he's got <clears throat> some writing that is clearly meant to be um, lyrics um, is encouraging for, you know, people who care about the Silver Jews, you know, getting back together. So, you know, he does have that. And I think that, you know, this time around, just like every other Silver Jews experience, he's got to, he's got to pick a who and a when and a where. Because the who is the big part for him. Like, who's going to be in the band? And it could very easily be any combination of the 15 to 20 people that he's worked with in the past, or it could be an entirely new group, you know? Um, would, would, I would say... Would Cassie, would Cassie still be in the band? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. She's going to school in Louisville. <clears throat> She's really ensconced in, in getting her master's degree. Right. Um, she, I think she's going to... I don't know exactly what it is because I haven't spoken to her personally, but it has something to do with something that she, I know that she's wanted to do for a long time, and that's doing um, some sort of therapy involving horses. So Cassie, um, she's got, Cassie's doing school... Dave, I, and I don't know if this is this might be prurient, but because they're in the band together, and you know, it became kind of this romantic thing that they were a couple in the band. But it sounds like David, yeah. David's kind of traveling around. Are they are they still together? How is that? What's going oh on? yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still together. Okay, they're still together. They just have this thing where, you know, she's pursu she's she's pursuing higher education in Louisville, where her family lives, is the place to live. That's two and a half hours away. Yeah. And David is just kind of left to his own devices in Nashville, which means that he's just <clears throat> um, in his house, and uh, but, but you know, he, he doesn't go out. He, he, he was and, living he was living in Chicago for a couple of months, wasn't he? Yeah, I don't know if it was that much. <clears throat> yeah, he came up, he went up there for a couple of months because Drag City has a cool apartment now. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, yeah, they've got an apartment, so he stayed in there, <clears throat> and he really enjoyed that. I think he just kind of, um, I think you know, when you don't. I think he just, you know, wants to move around a bit, you know. I mean, I think that he sort of realizes that's, you know, for the bulk of the, since Silver Jews stopped, I think he spent the bulk of his time in Nashville, and I think it hasn't really done him that much good. And I think that he's really, um, I'm not, I mean, I say that, I think he, he uh, that's referring to everything in terms of his, uh, um, what he, what he's making and how busy he is, you know? Yeah. One interesting thing about his lifestyle in Nashville, which kind of, he's a self-proclaimed internet or a Wi-Fi addict. Um, <laughs> so, which I think that probably most people are, but like he actually views it as like a real addiction. And um, so he does not have Wi-Fi in his house. Why not? Um because he's, he's, he said that if he, for years, I guess for the last several years, he's had a Wi-Fi signal and essentially he spends 
like 18 hours a day on a fast internet signal just reading stuff, you know, just like researching and reading and like taking notes and it actually cuts into um, the several hours a day in which he'd like to be creating stuff. Instead, he, instead he's just like reading and watching the work of others. For one thing, I know that he he thinks that um, he thinks that there's an incredible amount of really, really funny people on the internet today, which I'm unfamiliar with. I mean, this is something you'd have to ask him about. <laughs> no, I think he's right. Yeah. I think he's right. He's true. It's yeah. true. The field is it, the field's a lot wider than it used to be in terms of funny people. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he said there's a lot of really, really funny people, and that it. it um, I guess that's the kind of thing. David's kind of thing. If he's exposed to too many talented people. He he gets this feeling like oh like this oh that's already been done feeling, and it sort of limits his his own you know personal creation you right. know so yeah no I can see it's that. weird I mean I guess it sort of makes sense I'm not a writer you know like um, whatever you know what I mean like I'm sure I spend far too much time on the internet so what he does is he like he doesn't have Wi-Fi at home so he has no no way to get online. And also that sort of spurs him into leaving the house more because he's got to get online. And of course, it being modern day Nashville, there's tons of like really great places to that have Wi-Fi. Like, and he loves coffee, he loves coffee and tea. He loves tea really strong, and and um, he likes to go to these cafes. <laughs> he likes to go to these cafes and and surf the net. But in order to do that, he actually has to like leave the house. So this is this new sort of program which seems to be working, you know, in terms of like getting him to do stuff, at least as far as I can tell. I mean, the time I spent with him over the last several weeks on my way down to Florida, on my way back, he's doing stuff and Kotzer's engaged and Kotzer has a uh, studio. And um, whereas there's nothing like, you know, nothing that's in the can. Nothing's nothing's been recorded. As far as you know, no, not not in any, not in any releasable way. Hmm. No. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> no, there's been a bit, you know, little bits of this and that. You know, it doesn't take much. <clears throat> it doesn't take much because I mean, like a lot of, I mean, you were saying that you like Silver Jews. A lot of the, at least, a lot of the first, all the way up through, um. You know, definitely Arizona record, everything before it, and then Starlight Walker, all that stuff. A lot of that stuff's one take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then even like, even like American Water, that can't be too many takes. So you know, as long as whatever. But I think at this in this day and age, I don't know how he, I don't know how he really work, operates in terms of sound aesthetic. I know that the songs I played on, um, what's the name of the album with, um, no. Uh, I can't even think of it now. I'd have to flip through my records. What's, the what record you... two? The record two back. What's the record two back called? Uh, you know. Let me think here. So not. Uh... Oh man, now I'm. It's blanking. the one with it's punks a... and the beer light on it. What's what's the one? With yeah, punks it's called and the beer light Tanglewood Numbers. Oh yeah, yeah, Tanglewood Numbers. I should know that because that's the street right across the street. Yeah, <laughs> Tanglewood Numbers. Um, I play on like two or three songs on that, and I wasn't in there for more than like. I wasn't in there for more than twenty minutes. I mean, well, it's, and, that that record has that immediacy and rawness that it that to me is a, a nice amalgam of the early part of the Silver Jews, and uh, as it you know as it progressed by American Water, it 
that's a pretty clean sounding record uh, on a lot of levels, and it and and I feel like uh, Tanglewood Numbers was this. I mean, it came after a very tumultuous time in in his life, health wise, but it it does sort of re- yeah. reflect this the the kind of raw and manic nature of the band, and also you know the the as I say the kind of more formalized aspects of it. Right, and also it was you know it was also well it was made at Mark Never's. Um, studio in Nashville, and it was, you know, the the band that played on it, except for myself, were all um, really, really solid, skilled live performers who played in, you know, a couple members of Lamb Chop and yeah. Kate from New Radiant Storm King. The band guys are just, you know, they can get show up and go up kind of guys, <laughs> and um, obviously that live band. Those songs were sort of, you can see why after Tanglewood Numbers, um, why it would be suitable to try to play those songs live because they all sort of worked in, in the live setting. You know, whether he's whether he's reading the lyrics off a sheet of paper or not, you know. Yeah, I, I, I this brings me to <laughs> this, this brings me to why I contacted you in in a few different ways here, Bob. Because, um, for well, I mean, and I'll I'll try to unpack this as best I can. So yeah, the, yeah. the the last couple times I got to see Silver Jews, which for those people who don't know, this was a big thing about the band. They didn't really tour ever until the last couple of records, and then they toured. And so I saw the last show in Kalamazoo, uh, or no, not Kalamazoo. Oh, really? Yeah, at the uh, Broken, not the Something Bottle. No, I can't remember what the thing's called. Or no, was it, no, 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 it was in Ann Arbor. Ann Arbor, yeah. Michigan, that's right. And so, yeah. and you know, you and I interacted a little bit, Bob, and and Steve West. Yeah. Steve West was there, and and you, and and then I saw the band again at Lee's Palace, and that's all I got to see, and and that was that was fine. We made a road trip. Yeah, we I got fired a few days after that, and so did Steve West. After the Lee's Palace show, we got fired. Yeah, we got fired. Was that like? Yeah, that was the first like month of touring. Yeah, that 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 was the end of the tour, I think. Why'd you get fired? Um, we got, I don't know. I, I don't know why exactly we got fired, but, um, we got fired because, um, I think the quote was, it felt too much like pavement. Yeah. I, okay. It seems, <laughs> I was going to say, he seems to like firing guys from pavement every once in a while for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe it makes him feel good. I, um, I want to say like, I, I that, wanna, that I, was the thing that was the, I mean, I was, I wasn't surprised that I got fired because I, of course, um, you know, you were road managing. You were, you were road yeah, managing at that doing, point. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was road manager, and I was um, I played on like two or three songs depending on the night. You know. Yeah. And um, which was kind of nerve wracking, but um, yeah. So I got fired. Um, I got along sort of famously with all the members of the band. I think that he sort of felt whether he was being paranoid or not is sort of debatable. That that. Um, that I, I would I was in the process of turning all of his bandmates against him, sort of in in quote a pavementy kind of way. Huh. <laughs> That's weird. Which See, I wasn't. I mean, just I love all those guys. You understand? Like these guys, he had in his band Willie Tyler and um, Peyton and Tony Crow and Brian and his wife Cassie and um, you know David and Cassie were pretty much you know together all the time and you know um sort of the main one of the main reasons i think why silver juice did all that touring is that um 
was for Cassie, like in a way, like, like David, um, really, uh, he was very aware of the fact that Cassie, you know, wanted to do all of that and she was excellent live and she, <clears throat> she's a really good live performer. And yeah, she was great. I think that she always wanted to be, she always, you know, sort of had wanted to feel like a, be like she was, a, you know, a, uh, somebody in rock, like a rock star or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, you know, she was sort of able to do that during that period. And then re- the reason why the Silver Dew stopped is also sort of unusual. They were supposed to play their first ever shows in Australia, and this is far after me and West had gotten fired. I think the reason why West got fired was sort of was a bigger surprise to me because he was, for one thing, he's a he's a good sound man, but he's a really great worker. You know, he's a really hard worker, and he's also very he keeps to himself. And I think that the fact that he got fired was complete proof that. David didn't want, um, he didn't want it to be linked to sort of pavement in every any way, you know. So somewhere along the line, he picked up that notion that people are like, oh, his friends from pavement are helping him along, and he wanted to sort of eliminate that feeling. I didn't talk to him for over a year after that. I mean, even we lived in the same neighborhood. I, I didn't talk to him. I was mad oh, wow. at him. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, I thought it was ridiculous. I went over there and got like, I demanded my, my pay and, you know, a certain amount of the merch, and like I lived like whatever a half a mile away, and <clears throat> I didn't talk to him or see him for a, from a year, even though he's for a year, even though he's in the same neighborhood. And then it's like a year in the penalty box. That's kind of the thing. That's that's not atypical of um, these type of childish relationships that I have with my friends. Well, so, but, um, but with David, it, I mean, David, David is is a he, he. I in my interactions with him, he's been very kind and nice, but I think. Uh, he doubts himself. He's a bit controlling. We did a really great, I thought it was a really great radio interview back around when the uh, documentary was coming out, Silver Jew. And yeah. Yeah, it was great. And we did it. And then the next day, through his publicist, he asked me not to air it. And I yeah. said, and I said well, well, why? And she's like, I can't really yeah. parse out what the problem is, but he just doesn't want you to do it. Then I was like, well, that's heartbreaking. Like, people are very excited. David doesn't talk that much. I'm very excited. Yeah. And then, like, a couple hours later, she wrote back, yeah, he says it's fine. Like, he hadn't heard anything. Like, nothing had changed in the time that he said, don't don't let him play it to... Yeah, well, the reason why is because he probably said one or two things that that he didn't want to say or something, and then, so he thought he'd pull that move, and then when his publicist said that you were particular that you were disappointed... Then he then he got back to then she got back to him and said, "Well, the, he is really disappointed." And David said, "All right, we'll just tell him to go ahead and do it." This is <laughs> this is where I'm trying to figure out your role because, as I say, at the towards the end of the band, I saw you as the road manager. You would play. I did see you actually perform in the band at that point as well. You start yeah. you in the last couple months, or I don't know how many. I, I've kind of lost track. I think it's been a couple months. You have been mentioning stuff, posting photos on social media. You have been kind of the spokesperson for something. Yeah. And the whole time, as I'm seeing this happen, and people are like, Bob Nostanovich is doing this stuff about Silver Jews. They seem to be doing something. In my head, yeah. in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is David. I think David is telling Bob to do this. I think David... No, no, it's all my idea. That's a good theory, though. Huh. That so, is a good theory, and what but is, it's all my idea. Okay, so what does he make of this, that you're doing this? Leaking this information. I, he thinks that's great. He, I was just—we were just sitting around one night at our friend Kevin and Carol's house. Um, they have a really good Wi-Fi signal, 
<laughs> and they and they watch bass. So it's kind of like it's kind of great for all. It's like um, Kevin and Ke- Kevin and David are good friends, and um, Carol likes to watch basketball, and um, she's a good friend of mine. And they have a great Wi-Fi signal, so we're we're hanging out over there. And um, Kotzer came over, or Kotzer was with, with us the whole time. And um, you know, so one thing led to another, and we ended up fiddling around with some stuff. And then Carol took um, a few, you know, as just like all the kids do in this day and age, people end up taking pictures of each other. And yeah, um, so some pictures were taken, and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to put this up on social media that. Um, you know, that basically like there's, you know, something going on with the silver Jews. That's more than just people just like sitting on a couch, um, enjoying a good Wi-Fi signal. And because, you know, Dave, and <clears throat> David didn't seem to, you know, at the time Dave was like, yeah, well, I'd, no big deal. Let's see what happens. So, and, you know, there's, and then like, then, you know, we talked about on the way back through, um, I went down to Tampa for a month outside of Tampa, I went to a really cool place. Um, near Palm Harbor called Crystal Beach. I was there for a month to get out of this Des Moines weather. And um, so, uh, yeah, so on the way back through, like, we didn't do anything like we did the first time. I wasn't there as long. I was kind of anxious to get back. Uh I'd wrecked my car when I was down there, so I'd rent a car. and So I didn't have as much time to stick around and, like, which was fine anyways. I don't think if I'd stayed for a week, much more would have happened. Cause I think sort of what he's decided to do at this point with the material that we messed around with and, and stuff that he'd written even before then. And then um, I think the great thing about um, getting together in January and doing something is it is it may have played a role in him doing more, more stuff in the following month that I think he's gotten his head around to the fact that he has to start thinking about, you know, if and when he's going to do this and most importantly, who he wants to get to play with him, you know? Okay. All right. So the takeaways that I'm getting here are he started making some sculpture and that's inspired him to start writing again. You have, he, yep. he's very close to a recording studio. If he wants to, he could try to play. Easy. He could easily. Brand play. new, like really nice. Like right. really nice. Okay. So he could, if he wanted to. It's in, a, it's in his best friend's house, essentially. And you'd say, what would you guess? How many song ideas are currently kicking around? Fifteen. 15 songs. Okay, so there's 15 potential songs. This is something... Yeah. There There seems to be... I remember, and I, I didn't look this up before we spoke, so forgive me, but I seem to recall the initial post being like, you maybe backtracked and said, oh, we're just we're just coming up with something for a, a dance sequence, or a... It was like you were soundtracking something. What, what was that? Oh, no, no, no. He... he um, it, the Sort of the intent was based upon... Um, uh, the 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 intent of us actually doing anything in the first place was a sound installation for his um, sculptures. That's what it was. Sorry. So if okay. actually, yeah, if he actually did have an art show, and we're you know they're big, they were saying like if he had an art show with like four to eight, depending on the size of the room, with four to eight installations, you know, I, and I kind of I was like, you know what the best thing to do would be to sort of complete the package and make it sort of appealing and draw people in and make them go whether they were interested in seeing the art or watching the art or, you know, potentially even buying the art um, would be as if there was some all new material. You know, obviously that's one of these cases where the artist is most famous 
as a musician and a poet, poet probably first, I don't even know how that works, but yeah, um, definitely as a musician. So it'd be great instead of just walking into a room where there's just like the sound of the background conversation, if there was actually like, you know, music being piped through something at some volume level. So whether you want to do it with, you know, just have it be instrumental or do it with vocals or whatever, or maybe even potentially make a record that sort of coincides with the, you know, the whole experience of seeing these sculptures. So that was just like, hold on, maybe, um, I think his take on that was maybe Nastanovich, who doesn't really ever have any good ideas in my mind, he might actually have a good idea here because um, it wouldn't really sort of be an exchange between us unless there was at least three to five mild insults hurled. And, um, you know, so that was sort of it. <clears throat> and okay. uh, it's easy. It's easy when you've got, like, people... I mean, like, Cots are, like, he's one of those guys. Like, I'm, like right now we're trying to get... This is kind of interesting, too. Like, well, not, not as interesting to you, but, like, Cots are, um is a guy that um, he... He's he's like a one man band, like he can sort of play anything. So we're trying to actually trying to get his head around for the first time. Like he's he's really sort of a mat. He's got a great voice. And he can drum and play guitar, bass, you know anything. And we're trying to convince him that he needs to start making like electronic, get more and more into electronic music. You know, plus he's played like video games for years, and like it seems he seems like a natural fit. But he's so tied down to like rock and roll, like the organic approach, like yeah. guitar, bass, and drums. He's so faithful to it that, like, he won't, he won't accept it. And as, as his 40th birthday approaches here in a few days, I've, I've been making him CDs of, like, um, Unflesh and, like, Steve Cobby and, like, um, Baby Mammoth and, <clears throat> and, like, cool stuff that, like, because he doesn't, he doesn't, he's never heard that many examples of, like, you know, underground electronic music things that, that he thinks are cool. So that's what I'm sending him for his birthday. Cause I think he, he's got the equipment right there and he's got to bring, see what they're renovating his house and a whole wing of it's going to be a pretty nice studio. So Brian, Brian's but, home is going to be, could potentially be this great creative hub of activity. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. Okay. He's got a big house. He's got a big house. Nice. All right. So as I yeah. say, I'm, uh, so we don't know when, but it sounds like something. We don't know when, but the sculptures are <clears throat> the sculpture thing's very interesting, and then and then the fact that he's clearly writing songs is interesting, and and writing um, other stuff. He's going through a um, he's coming out of his his uh, shell. David Berman, if you're a fan, he's doing great, and his attitude and outlook's good, and he's um he seems to be. Um, Seems to be pretty upbeat these days. He looks good too. He also looks good. I noticed that in the photos. He looks good. Yeah, he yeah. looks good. He's got a nice mustache. He looks good, and I think that might, you know, that might have something to do with a cafe lifestyle. You know, you're out there amongst <laughs> the kids, like drinking, and like you know, maybe not having three dollar. Yeah, not having Wi-Fi circulating through your house all the time. That's probably health healthy exactly. too. Exactly. Yeah, the yeah. Wi-Fi exactly, and that's and I'm you know that's that's where things stand. You know, like. I don't want to feel like I was leading anybody astray on social media. I didn't really mean it to be cryptic, but I couldn't really define what was going on, you know, other than to present that there is something going on, but it's not like it wouldn't be like if, um, like Sleet or Kinney, like three months before when they announced that they're, or whatever, five, I don't even know when it was. They announced when they're, they got a new album and a tour. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
Yeah. Then their fans could just go to the website and they could start buying tickets and like getting ready for the album release date. It's not like that. No, it doesn't seem very calculated. It's just it's it's interesting. It seems very interesting. Yeah. And and I as a fan have been intrigued by this as soon as I saw your post because you and I are Facebook friends. So I saw your post and I was like, what yeah. the, what the hell is going on here now? Now, Bob, you and I have spoken before, and and this yeah. I hope you'll agree this was a nice chat, right? Oh yeah, there always are. Yeah, I don't have any. There's no way I would ever. Um, yeah, I, yeah. No, I really enjoyed it. Why? Well, here's what I want to propose to you, and I don't want you to yeah. take it any other way. But Will Oldham was on the show a few months ago, and we started talking yeah. about David. I just wanted to talk about David because I miss David as a presence in my life. A lot of us. Yeah, do. he's good. And I talked right. to the, I talked to the Drag City folks about it too uh, about David sometimes just to be like, hey, what's going on? I kind of want to talk to David. And what, I, what I'm proposing to you is based, yeah. on, uh, based on the fact that you and I have had some nice interactions and based on this, and this is great, I, I appreciate the insight, I wouldn't mind if you keep me in mind <laughs> for, yeah, Dave, yeah, yeah. for David. No, I'll, no, here's the other thing too with David. Here's one thing you got to know, and this is going to be kind of difficult for you with having two young children, is that I don't know if Will or the Drag City guy has told you this, but... He keeps um, the reverse hours. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm aware. I don't like he get. Yeah, he gets up at like five, four. Like I think ideally somewhere between depending on what he has to do today. Like his usual hours, like I just say, he gets up at three in the afternoon yeah. and then goes to bed at like I don't even know when, man. No, that's fine. <laughs> like no, I, no. every time and I stayed there, I was up till three and he was still humming. I will make. I, mean, I will make whatever effort is necessary. I just. I I had yeah. I had a nice. I gave you some good background though on, on the details. Absolutely, yeah. I don't even know at this point. Yeah. I don't know if we, I need to talk to him, but I just mean at some point, I want to talk to him. Now I've got. If you agree to this, I've got three people on the case who are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll mention it. Yeah, because he's doing some interesting stuff. And the other thing is that while I was there for the last ten years, he's been storing my collection of seven-inch records, which I, you know, obviously started to buy like a in like around 1980. Uh-huh. And um, since, you know, when I moved up to Des Moines seven or eight years ago, um, I couldn't, I, it was just myself and my wife in a car, you know, so I had to leave a lot of stuff behind. Then Nashville, and on this trip through, I was just able to, um, he took, takes very good care, took very, very good care of my stuff. I'm very grateful for that. So everything that he had of mine that he'd been storing carefully. He's like the perfect person to take care of and store your stuff. Cause he, <clears throat> um, plus, you know, he appreciated a lot of the obscurity of some of the seven. Yeah. Yeah. Mind blowing, yeah. you know, like, so who knows, but <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, I'm grateful to him for, um, for a lot of things and, and, but particularly that. And he was also a very, uh, an excellent host. Um, so he had a great time there and the dogs had a good time. He's got a wonderful dog. And I, w- I was disappointed to miss Kathy, but she's there on the weekends, you know. Okay, she's, all right. She goes home every weekend. <clears throat> and so I'd say that, um, yeah, I'll definitely put in a good word for you, and I'll get in touch <laughs> with him, send him an email. And uh, I would say that probably the week, you know, a weeknight, like as late as you can stay up, would probably be your best best shot. Don't. I'm just saying, like, I know I said I got the two kids, and I, you know, I stay up. I can stay up for this. I just want to talk to him and get to the bottom of this. Again, you've provided great insight, and maybe there's nothing else to say, really, on his level. Like, I'm going to post this 
show as soon as I can, frankly, to tell you the truth. So Yeah, no, the other thing is I would never, like, go, hey, Dave, I mean, I don't force the action with him, too. I, I would never be, like, um, no, 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 I never, I never demanded to see, I never personally demanded to see what he was doing. Like, I don't, it's not going to do me any good to read what he's doing. You know what I mean? No, no, sure. No, no. And I, again, this maybe it's unsavory of me to even have tried to conclude. No, 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 it's not at all. No, okay. I think he would do that. I think he'd appreciate it. It's not unsavory at all. Um, he knows he, I'm a fan. Would've... I think, I mean, I don't know. Does he run the Twitter account, by the way, the Silver Juice Twitter account? Who runs that? I don't know. You don't know, eh? I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. I didn't even know it existed, to be honest. He's on the internet all the time, but you don't know who runs the Silver Juice Verified it's definitely Twitter not account. David. It's not David. Okay. I sometimes can't I... be. It can't, can't be because he just, um, because uh, he doesn't, for, for one thing, he, he's, he doesn't have Wi-Fi at home, and unless unless you notice that the tweets are all during like the same No, I don't. Period I think thing. he's favorited some things I've written about Silver Jews over the last couple of years, but, uh, or not he, the, huh. the, uh, the, uh, maybe he does, but I don't think he does. My guess would be no. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Totally fair. You know, I, Steven's on there. It's like Steven, you know, Steven's account on there, right? Steven, it's uh, like at, at drone comma, at drone, at drone coma, at drone coma. That's his Twitter. Steven Malcolmus? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know which Steven you were referring to. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, Steven's on there a lot. Steven's on there. He's on. He's on. He's on quite a bit. Okay. Well, maybe I'll at, at drone coma. You just <laughs> are you outing Steven right now? Does it, do people know that that's his account? Yeah, because I think there is a lot of fakers with him. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> and then, and then you know, of course, um, I um, would be flattered if there was any fake Bob and Sandwiches out there. So I'm just at B Nastanovich on there. Okay, I'm going to find you too. I don't have fake names, <laughs> and I don't have any fake Facebook accounts or anything like that. Nice. I mean, I'm entire, despite the fact that I live in Des Moines, I'm an entirely um, publicly accessible figure. Well, obviously. I mean, I got a hold of you, no yeah. problem. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, I do appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to tell folks that for more information about uh, Silver Jews, they can follow whoever's running the Twitter account, at Silver Jews, and also visit uh, Menthol Mountains dot blogspot dot com which hasn't been updated in a little while but still i think you should check that out uh yeah that's his thing for sure if he's if he's gonna hit you with something i think that would probably be the place yeah now before we go bob is there a song by silver jews we can play that uh, you think would be a, a nice way of ending this uh, chat well i always think it's um a nice on a cold sunny day to listen to new orleans okay just because it's as you say it's cold and sunny yeah. All right. That that sounds good to me. This is New Orleans by Silver Jews. Uh, Bob Nastanovich, it, uh, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's always nice to talk to you.
everybody smoke well you can't say that my soul has died away no you can't say again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at cfru.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast 
on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.